Welcome back to Diabetech. I'm Justin. I have type 1 diabetes. And on this podcast, I talk all things diabetes tech, news and management with diabetes educators, tech leaders, and those thriving with diabetes. The future of diabetes technology is so bright. And joining me today to talk about where diabetes tech is now and where it's headed in the future is fellow tech nerd, David Ahn. He is an endocrinologist and chief of diabetes services at Mary and Dick Allen Diabetes Center at Hogue in Newport Beach, California. David and I cover a ton of topics. We get into the Eversense CGM and the future of implantable technology, where CGMs and pumps are headed, consumer choice and device interoperability, and future diabetes wearables like ketone monitors and meal detection watches. It's a longer episode, but it is full of fascinating information. You'll hear that through my voice. I had an absolute blast talking to him. He's going to have to come back on the show. Uh, New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on YouTube and all major podcast platforms. So be sure to follow me on your preferred service. And if you want to give me a rating, that would help me out a ton. Keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or content on my social media and YouTube channel is not medical advice. Always consult your physician before making changes to your healthcare. Let's get into the conversation. David, thank you so much for joining on the podcast. We met at ADA earlier this year. Um, I've been watching your videos for some time on social media, um, all techie stuff. You're also a techie, uh, and it's great to have you on here to talk about diabetes tech. (laughs) For sure. I'm super excited. Of course, you know, your content on social media and YouTube has just been really informative and you know i feel like we're kindred spirits in many ways so it's nice to be able to create some content together yeah and i know we're on limited time because the apple event uh is (laughs) at 1 p.m so we're gonna have to get off of here for that because we're both gonna want to watch that uh but yeah let's let's um let's talk diabetes tech so before we get into all of that though can you just introduce yourself to my audience and kind of how you got into all the tech Totally. So um, I am an adult endocrinologist. Um, I am the director of a diabetes center called the Marion Dick Allen Diabetes Center. Uh, It's um, affiliated with Hogue Hospital in Orange County, California. My office right now is in um, sunny Newport Beach. Um, And uh, I'm very passionate about helping people um, with type 1 diabetes, um, also type 2 diabetes. Um, What led me to endocrinology was just um, the inclusion of technology. I've always been kind of a tech nerd. Um, and so when I just learned about CGM and insulin pumps, um, it was, it was something that was very, uh, intriguing to me. And, um, yeah, so I've been able to live out that passion by, um, helping people with diabetes. Okay. So I just saw a video on your Instagram implanting, well, taking out and then implanting a new Eversense CGM. For those who don't know, Eversense is the only implantable CGM. And I kind of just want to hear, what are your thoughts on that device? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, It's something that I think a lot of people don't know that much about yet. Um, And, you know, they're kind of the little guy uh, when it comes to the competitive CGM space. Um, But I kind of see it the way like Omnipod was maybe 10 years ago, where not that many people used it. It was kind of the out of the box paradigm, right? Because back then it was all tube pumps. and of course, a patchless pump made sense, but they were still a small company. And I think that's that's kind of how I view Eversense. I think 
in many ways, an implantable CGM makes perfect sense. Um, you know, cause then you, you know, you don't have to be changing your sensor every 10 to 14 days. Um, and, but it's a little bit out of the box, right? It doesn't integrate yet with any automated insulin delivery systems. It's still kind of a generation two product, you know, whereas Dexcom is on like their sixth or seventh iteration. Um, so it's a little bit immature, a little bit rough around the edges, but um, for certain people, I think it's a really, really good option. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, Dexcom by far, you know, it's kind of the gold standard, right? When it comes to type one diabetes and CGM. Um, but at the same time, there are people that it doesn't work out for, whether they have adhesive issues, whether they have rashes, um, whether they don't trust the accuracy of it. So it's nice to have different options to go to. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the Eversense is that it's kind of a different type of a CGM. You know, the Libre is great too, but it's just going to be a very similar, you know, it's going to have similar strengths and weaknesses as a Dexcom. Whereas Eversense kind of has totally unique uh, strengths and weaknesses because it's a totally different form factor. What would you say about the accuracy of Eversense? And do you think that the CGM is ready for DIY systems if that community were to integrate Eversense into them, into their apps? Oh, totally. I'm, man, I'm so glad you asked that question because um, I'll kind of answer the second one first just because I get so excited about it. Is I literally am telling everybody I can in the world to try to get this integrated with AID systems, especially like Loop or DIY systems, because I think it's totally ready for prime time. The problem is, and this is all my perspective, um, but you know the company can't officially support looping endeavors, right? They can't create a paper trail. They can't tell people to, to hack it. Um, and then the hacking community, I've kind of reached out there too. But I think the problem is like the, the user base is, is kind of small, so it's it's hard for them to. It's not necessarily worth the time or investment to try to get it integrated. I do know there's there is some loose integration on the Android side. I believe someone has kind of. Um, created a like a like a modified version of the app that will take the sensor readings off the app and send it to a DIY system but nothing for iPhone as far as I can tell but I think it's a it would be a great option um, for two reasons the first is like you were talking about the accuracy so I'll get to your first question um, if you go by Mard which I think you know uh, it's a little bit deceptive right it's like megapixel now it kind of becomes a little bit meaningless after the first generations. Um, if you go by MARD, it's not, it's, it has a MARD, I think of around 8.4% or 8.5%. Real yep. quick, just to interject, let's tell people what MARD is. Is it marginal average relative difference? Yeah, I think it's mean absolute mean, relative difference. Yeah, which um, basically the small, the lower the percentage, the better, meaning the accuracy is better. Totally. Yeah. So that's, a, I'm glad I'll take a quick side note. Um, so yeah, MARD is kind of the conventional um, measurement of accuracy on a continuous glucose monitor. Lower is better. Um, but the problem is, is um, much like megapixel, um, these are terms that kind of the consumer audience starts to learn and they think, okay, more megapixels is better in a camera, less MARD is better in a CGM. So naturally what these pump company or what these sensor companies will do is they start to slowly game the system a little bit to try to, you know, boost their MARD. So now that everyone's so fixated on MARD, it, while it's still overall a pretty good ac uh, measure of accuracy, you can't just go by the lowest MARD that's published. So for example, the Libre 3 system has a MARD, I think of 7.8 or 7.9%. Um, I think the Dexcom G7 is around 8.2 or 8.3%, and the Eversense E3 is about 8.4, 8.5%. I would say they're all 
in the same ballpark. I would say, you know, personally speaking and just talking with kind of my patients, my personal belief is that the Dexcom and Eversense are kind of 1A and 1B. Um, and the, and then Libre is kind of a really, really, really close uh, second. I just think the Libre has a little bit of um, over-reporting of hypoglycemia on the low range. Um, but if I had to like pick one, I personally would recommend the Eversense in terms of most accurate. And the reason I say that is because um, you know how it goes. Like every sensor, you know, when you when you're changing your Dexcom every ten days, every sensor kind of has its own personality, and it kind of takes like a half a day or a day to try to figure out its personality, right? It's kind of working through its kinks. Um, the first, you know, twelve hours are going to be less accurate. So when you're putting in an EverSense for that one eighty day system, yes, for the first few days it's going to be a little a little bit less accurate as it's kind of finding its way. But say day seven through one eighty, you're not going to have that first day jitters. Um, anymore. And so in that sense, I do think it's a little bit more reliable and accurate. Um, but I wouldn't say like, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I think it's close enough that I wouldn't switch purely for that. But if you're having a concern about the accuracy of your current CGM, I definitely think it's worth a try because I think it's like a 1A, 1B with Dexcom. Now, besides it needing to be implanted and the fact that it can't work with automated systems, what would you say is one of its limitations uh, that yeah. differs itself from other systems, other CGMs. Totally. Yeah, and I try to always like lead with this because I think people, um, you know, if not, I've had patients get referred to my office and they come and they don't know what I'm about to say and I'm kind of like, oh, well, I'm really glad we talked about this before I cut you open. Um, and so it does require one to two finger stick calibrations a day, right? Which is, you know, in this day and age, I don't think there's any other CGM now that the Guardian 4 came out there's no other CGM that requires uh, a, at least one daily finger stick a day. And so that is a pretty big limitation because I know some people have been so happy to not have to carry around their meter. You know, I joke around that some of my patients don't even know where their meter is half the time, um, which is such a, <laughs> you know, which is such a relief, right? It's like the difference between free and 50% off. Like free is free, 50% off is 50% off. So, you know, the Eversense does require one to two finger stick calibrations. I also think that's kind of contributing to its uh, really, really high accuracy, but that could definitely be a, a deal breaker for certain people. Um, another thought or another big downside is that when people, you know, find out that it's an implantable CGM, some people are disappointed that there is an external transmitter. So I actually have it right here. Um, it So you do have to wear an external transmitter on top of your skin over the sensor to get readings. However, that's not as bad as you might think because it is easily removed. So you can take it off and put it back on whenever you want. And I think that's one of the big game changers. And kind of when I show people that you can just like take it off and put it back on whenever you want, that's when people's eyes light up a little bit and they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Because if you think about it, we're so used to these sensors that you can't move once they're in place, um, which is really, you know, inconvenient. But we've almost grown accustomed to thinking that that's fine. Um, but it really is inconvenient, as I'm sure people with type 1 diabetes can can tell you. Yeah, it's interesting y you showing the, um, the you know, wearable that you have to put on. It is significantly larger than the Libre 3 and G7, uh, but then having that added benefit of just taking it off. And I know that you could put a new, like, underlayer patch on it, and it's not going to fall off. Um, so you're not really, totally. it's not wasteful. How long does that device last? Is it like forever or is it like expire after a year? So the sensor, the sensor or the transmitter? Well, the transmitter I know is six months currently. 
or sorry, Correct. the sensor inside yeah. your body is six months, but how long is that transmitter? That, the yeah, external so the, device? It, totally. So it has a one year warranty. Um, you do charge it. So there's a charging cradle um, and you charge it. So um, it has like a one to two day battery life. So, it, you know, a lot of people will just kind of charge it while they're in their shower. That's a perk, right? You get to take naked showers. So they'll end up taking off their transmitter, charge it while they're taking a shower. And then when they're done, it fully charges in about 15 minutes. So they'll just put it back on at that point. One thing, and um, I just happen to have this on my table. I'm not doing product demos, I promise. But the adhesive is actually <laughs> what really sold me on this uh, sensor. Like at first when the rep came into my office, I was kind of like, okay, wait, why you have to do finger stick calibrations? You have to wear a transmitter. Why would I recommend this to any of my patients? And then what she said was she was like, hey, give me your arm. And she put on this thing. So it's basically like a double-sided tape that you apply. So what she did was she said, give me your arm. And she put it on. And then she peeled it off like that. And then she put it back on a couple times. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Because as you know, you that that's this is something you can't do with a, with a, with a, Evers, uh, with a Freestyle Libre or a Dexcom. You can't just peel it off and put it back on again. And that's, you know, that can really come in handy, whether you're going through airport security, you know, whether you're getting an MRI, you don't have to, you know, pop it, you know, you don't have to waste a, a Dexcom. Um, if you're going swimming at the beach, if you're going to a special event, you don't want your diabetes to be on display. It's just really nice to be able to take it off and put it back on. And that, yeah. that concept, I think, is what is really one of its biggest selling points. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just learned a lot about this. Um, and I, and I want to move on to kind of where that the technology is going, but I will say totally. kind of what I'm taking from this conversation is that it's very innovative in the fact that it's implantable, but I do find that it seems like there are a significant amount of limitations in size and charging every two days and using finger sticks. But I'm excited about where this technology is going and the fact that this exists as a Gen 2 product. Do you know where Eversense wants to go? Anything about their future pipeline or, or what they've said? Totally, yeah. I would want to add one thing, because um, I think your concerns are totally valid. So what I tell people, my general rule of thumb is, if you're happy on your Dexcom, if you're happy on your Libre, absolutely no reason to try the Dexcom or the Eversense. You know, um, you're on a great system. However, if you're having issues, whether that's you know something related to you, um, you know, like I said, if the adhesive's not lasting long enough, you're having rashes despite what, trying different things. Um, then that's when you should try the Eversense. And there is a, you know, a good subset of people that, that the Libre or Dexcom just doesn't work out for them. Um, but you're right. I think the pipeline is what gets me really, really excited. Um, so, and, and most of it they've shared publicly and I'm happy to kind of give you a quick uh, briefing. So they have a 365 day sensor, um, um, that they just finished doing collecting data for in a clinical trial. And part of the challenge that Eversense has with these long-term sensors is that their trials take forever, right? Because imagine if you're testing a year-long sensor, your study has to be like a year and a half. Um, whereas if you're testing a 10-day sensor, you're you can collect and publish all your data within you know four to six months. So these studies take a really long time because they have to show that it works over a year period. But they just finished collecting all their data on their 365-day concept. Uh, I don't know if they've submitted it yet yet to the FDA, but last I heard, I think they're hoping to be uh, to get FDA approval sometime in the early part of 2024, maybe like first half, so like spring or so. Um, so that would be really exciting. Um, beyond that, I think they have a version of the 365 day sensor 
that may require less calibration. So like one or two calibrations a week, which I think is very reasonable and, um, you know, manageable for people. Um, but then after that is where it starts to get really insane. So they have another sensor that's in the pipeline um, called Gemini. That's their product name or their code name. And um, it essentially has flash. So the sensor sits under the skin. And if you want, you can actually use it as a flash CGM, like the Libre 2. So you don't have to wear an external transmitter. You can grab your phone and then just scan it to get your blood sugar reading and a graph of the last, say, eight hours of your blood sugar. So that way you can have like a fully, like a completely transmitterless experience with nothing on the skin. In that situation, of course, you won't get alerts. Um, but if you're just looking for CGM data or if you have type 2 diabetes and you're not necessarily as worried about going super high, super low in, a, in an instant, that can work out for you. Um, and that same Gemini flash system, you can use the transmitter if you want an alert. So it's almost like a dual function. You can have a transmitter that sits on the scan, skin and you would get alerts and it would work kind of like a traditional Eversense. Or you can go without a transmitter and you can flash it like the Libre 2 and nothing is visible over the skin. And then the last thing is they have another system um, called the Freedom, which would hope to be a completely transmitterless experience. There would be a signal on the sensor under the skin, so everything at that point would be under the skin transmitting um, to a nearby phone. Now, of course, their pipeline, you know, this is probably split spanning like four to six years or something, so um, it's not immediate, but this is what they're working on. One thing in the near future that I forgot to mention is they did submit FDA filing for the ICGM status for the current 180-day sensor. So my hope is that they'll integrate with automated insulin delivery systems as early as like early next year or um, hopefully by the end of this year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I would love to try it out at that point. That would be totally. pretty neat with like ICGM uh, with closed loops. Um do you think the future is implantable for CGMs? Oh, that's a really good question. I think my hope is that there'll be a really good implantable option. I think with the Libre 3 and the G7, as you can probably attest to, like the form factors are getting quite small. I mean, they're pretty impressive. The Libre 3 just blows my mind still every time I, I, I bring it out and show it to patients. Um, but I do think there is something really convenient. I mean, imagine if you have a sensor under your skin you don't have to change it once, you know, changing it once a year and it loops with you. I mean, that's amazing because the other thing I don't mention is that with automated insulin delivery, you know, say you're using an Omnipod, you're changing your pod every three days. If you're changing your sensor every 10 days, then, you know, you're just using up a lot of real estate in your body, right? So that's where something like an implantable system makes so much sense because you're not puncturing your skin every three to 10 days. Um, so it really cuts down on the amount of like skin wear that you're having overall. So I do think the future is 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 implantable, um, unless of course someone can kind of unlock uh, these like white whales of CGMs like through the watch, right? Where you're not having to puncture the skin at all, like optical sensors or micro needles. Yeah. If someone can really unlock that, then of course that would be huge. Um, but as far as I know, um, that that technology is still very far off. So I do think the future is implantable. Yeah, and I don't. I don't want to wear a watch all the time. Like I love the idea of that technology. I know app, there's been rumors about Apple working on it for a very long time. Who knows if they'd you know enter for that to be like an FDA cleared system for those with diabetes. But I like the small sensor. Libre three is ridiculously small, which makes me it's think amazing. the Dexcom's gonna get smaller. Libre will get smaller. Um, so who knows if we need implantable? But it's still exciting. 
what are your thoughts on an implantable pump? Like almost like a pacemaker for those with diabetes. Do you think that that's that's something? Yeah. Is that something that is already being looked at, like being tested or are we still kind of far off from that? Um, so this kind of predates my time as well, but when I talk to older endocrinologists, um, this is something that was actually explored previously, um, maybe say around 2000 or 2005. And when you know how the body works, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, which is why you don't hear that many companies working on it. I can't think of a single company that's working on it. And the problem is you can put something under the skin, but it's only safe for long-term use if you're kind of not really physically interacting with it, right? So if you're wearing a, an AICD, like a, like a defibrillator, like a Medtronic um, implantable cardiac device, you're not having to fill it with insulin every three days. You're not having to charge it. It has an internal battery that will last, you know, five years. Um, and so um, with an insulin pump, though, you have to put new insulin in every day. So, or sorry, every several days. So there's going to have to be a port where you're interfacing and putting liquid into this device. And that introduces a source of infection. Um, Mm. and irritation. And so that's what really starts to cause problems when you're having to like interact with these systems under the skin in a physical way. And um, it just creates, you know, biologically, our bodies are so good at fighting infection that when you interfere with um, our skin, which is our natural protection against infection, it just exposes you to a lot of risk. Okay. And now let's get into something that is being tested and could not could possibly be not that far off. So Beta Bionics, uh, they have a new pump out. It is just an insulin pump, but they originally started with the vision for a bihormonal pump that has both insulin and glucagon. Glucagon would bring uh, levels back up. So it almost would allow for more aggressive control. How far off do you think we are from a bihormonal pump? I, I believe they're about maybe two years away, two to three years away from an FDA approval. I believe they're doing studies at the moment using biohormonal systems. Um, And in a way, the bionic pancreas, which eventually became islet by beta bionics, they're like the OGs of automated insulin delivery. I remember when I was going through my medical training in like 2010, these these were like the whispers of automation that you would hear about from coming from Massachusetts. So they've been working on it kind of from the very beginning. um, And their vision has always been that dual hormonal system biochemically, it makes a lot of sense because our body makes insulin, which brings down sugar and glucagon, which raises sugar. Um, And if you have that ability to both lower and raise blood sugar, like you said, you can run a lot more aggressive, you can run your numbers a lot more aggressively. And I think that glucagon can really come in handy with exercise, right? Exercise is kind of the Achilles heel of most automated insulin delivery systems. um, Because you become so sensitive to insulin that you tend to go low. Um, if you have the option to give glucagon to kind of raise blood sugar, then that can kind of alleviate those concerns. The big limitation, though, with a dual hormonal system, which is why like not all the companies are just chopping at the bit to go buy hormonal, is then you have to wear basically two pumps, at the very least two infusion sets, and have two chambers holding in, uh, chemicals, right? Insulin and glucagon. You know, I think right now having an infusion set for insulin and a CGM is already a lot to ask for. Um, so having kind of a second infusion set where, you know, that might have its own, you know, um, infusion set issues or failures, I think it does introduce a little bit more complexity than I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the solution will be, like which will be the eventual winner on paper. It makes a lot of sense in practice. It may be inconvenient. So I'm curious to see how it works out. Yeah. I almost feel like 
it could be more likely seen with something like the Moby, which has like a much shorter tube, which is coming from tandem very soon. Totally. And then even Omnipod, like what if you're wearing two Omnipod pumps, especially when those get smaller um, right. or even one Omnipod pump that has like kind of like, you know, two reservoirs, yeah, two, and two cannulas yeah, yeah. Uh, coming out e either side. So that could be interesting. Um, now, what about that tubeless pump market? There's been a lot of talk. There's the Omnipod, obviously, that's already available in the U.S. Then there's the AccuCheck Solo, which was just cleared. That's coming from Roche, not with closed loop, uh, but it is another patch pump that is actually removable. Uh, then there's the EOFlow that Medtronic is either working on or they're acquiring that South Korean company. And then you've got the Siggy pump, which Tandem acquired Siggy earlier this year. So the tubeless pump sector is kind of heating up. What do you think we're going to see with innovation? Like, what does Omnipod need to do to be like, well, we're better than all these new tubeless pumps that are coming out? Or what do those companies need to do to be like, we're better than Omnipod? Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the market is kind of speaking, right? Which is that I think people want tubeless options, um, which is why I think, you know, Medtronic and Tandem, which had been holding out for a really long time, are now very, very much financially investing in, you know, tubeless options. Um, it's still not for everybody. I still have some patients that are like, oh, I feel like there's more pod failures or, you know, I just it's still too bulky on my body versus like a traditional infusion set with tubing. Um, but I do think there's a huge market and many people, when I talk to patients who are just newly diagnosed or not wearing an insulin pump, they get horrified by tubing, right? They're like, I do not want to wear the one with tubing. So it's just instantly so appealing to be on a patch, uh, a patch pump or a tubeless pump. So, you know, what do they need to do better? I think one, they can have a better algorithm, right? So they can compete on having a different algorithm. Some people feel control IQ uh, is is more aggressive or a little bit better than the Omnipod 5 algorithm. They're both amazing algorithms, but some people might prefer one over the other. Um, two, like you said, it may be more removable, or maybe the form factor is a little bit more adaptable. Um, I believe that the T-Mobi the, the um, has an option to kind of be worn as a patch pump. I think it's going to come with some sort of sleeve that you can wear on the body. But if you don't, you can just clip it to your bra or something like that. And that short infusion set will still give you a lot of flexibility. So I think for some people, that kind of flexibility or adaptability might be useful because um, you could still take it off, right? Kind of going back to what we were talking about with the Eversense. Sometimes it's nice to be able to just take something off and not have it permanently attached to you for three days. Um, I think other things are just, you know, different interfaces. Every every company is going to have, every product is going to have its strengths and weaknesses. So maybe one is going to, you know, have less uh, less pod failures or, you know, whatever the equivalent of the pod is. Um, some might be um, reusable, right? So one downside to the Omnipod 5 system is you generate a lot of environmental waste. But if you have a reusable pump like the T-Mobi, then you're not really throwing out a whole pod every every three days. So I think, you know, there's going to be different benefits from each system. And I think what I get really excited by and what I kind of see as the future, and I really hope it happens, is that it kind of becomes, uh, you know, choose your own adventure when it comes to these systems. You can pick your own sensor. You can pick your own algorithm. You can pick your own pump. And the FDA has put all that in place, right? There's ICGM, which is interchangeable CGM. They have, you know, ACE, 
pump, ACE-enabled pumps, so um, pumps that can work with any algorithm that's FDA-approved, and then they have interchangeable algorithms. So these concepts exist. The big problem is that you have to convince the pump companies and the sensor companies to actually open up their stuff and start sharing with other people. And um, so I hope that, you know, with awareness that you and I can raise, that we as consumers can really put pressure on these companies to open up their algorithms and to really give choice to users, because that's what's super important. Yeah. And I think in many ways, the CGM companies, they want more options. They, the more options there are, the, the more opportunity there is for people to use their CGMs. But I, I, from what I've found is that the pump companies seem to be a little more protective. It's our algorithm. You're going to be on right. our system. And I'd like to see them be a little more willing to give consumers that option, especially maybe, maybe there's the reverse effect that from what they're thinking, maybe more people will want to use their pumps because they can interchange it with different systems, including tide pool loop, which is a consumer based FDA cleared system based right. off of the DIY loop. And I was going to get into yeah. that later, but I feel like it makes sense to talk about that. Now tide totally. pool loop originally had a, an agreement or some sort of partnership with Medtronic and Inslet, the producer of Omnipod, yeah. both of those companies have left that and kind of gone and done their own thing. Does Tidepool Loop have a chance with pumps in America? Closed loop pumps? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And that's a real point of frustration, I think, for people like you and I. Um, because, I mean, literally for like four or five years, Medtronic and Insulate got to kind of, you know, coast off of the positive press of how they were supporting Loop. They were a partner. I remember, you know, being at the announcement where Medtronic was announced as a partner of Loop. And I was like, oh my gosh, like hell's freezing over, right? It'd be like Apple saying like, hey, we're going to, you know, allow you to in install Android on the next iPhone. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. Think times are changing. And then, you know, finally in 2023, when Loop gets approved, you know, quietly, it's like, hey, we're actually not going to collaborate with them and we're not going to support them. And, and I think that was really, honestly, not very patient friendly. And so I think it's a huge problem. Um, I don't think it's just the pump companies. And that's one thing I will say. Okay. I think I think the CGM companies are kind of secretly also working behind the scenes. Um, Dexcom, for example, owns Type 0. Uh, which the type zero algorithm, which control IQ is it based off of. And, you know, and, and Dexcom is kind of the, um, you know, they're like the big name, right? When it comes to automated insulin delivery. So you're not going to see Insulate or Tandem talk badly about Dexcom because they're kind of the only game in town right now. And Abbott, they were able to kind of muscle their way into the market because Abbott is a huge multi-billion dollar company. I think as a company, they're bigger than Dexcom. They weren't bigger in the CGM space initially, but they were able to use their leverage, right? It would be like if, if Apple came out with a CGM, I'm sure Omnipod and, and Tandem would listen to them. The, the hard part is where you come in with like something like the Eversense, where your user base isn't that high. You don't have billions of dollars to kind of convince everybody to integrate you, with you. So imagine if you're the Eversense, you know, Eversense is a company talking to Tandem, and Tandem is thinking, well... Dexcom supplies, you know, I'm getting, we're getting a lot of really good customers from Dexcom. The last thing we want to do is piss off Dexcom by supporting a third CGM. So I think the CGM companies are also, um, pl they play a role in kind of the limiting down the data. 
because you know if you're Dexcom, you don't want Tandem to integrate with other competitors. That's just kind of your business model. So you know, I get it. Like business is business, but my pipe dream is basically that users would be able to pick their own sensor, pick their own algorithm, and pick their own pump. Okay. Now, this is not insider knowledge. This is just generally what has been on my mind. Do you think that Beta Bionics, you know, it was created by Ed Damiano, who, who had this vision of really creating um, technology that will, you know, better his child, but also just the community. And then you've got Sean Saint, the CEO, who was a DIY looper, and I believes in this vision very well. Do you think Beta Bionics will work with Eversense A and B, do you think that they'll work with Tidepool Loop? I feel like it makes sense. They have the option to be like, just put in your weight or if you want something a little more complicated, download the Tidepool app. And that's what makes me really excited, to be honest, because I think Beta Bionics, they're kind of, they're almost in a place where they're like in YOLO mode, right? It's like, what do they have to lose? You know, it's like they're, they're the startup. They have this completely different paradigm of like, you don't need to put in any settings. And, you know, they actually previously had an agreement at one point with Sensionics to incorporate the Eversense. One of their early trials actually used the Eversense. I don't know what the status of that partnership now is, but if there is going to be a pump that's going to be fulfilling that dream of where you can use your CGM, you can pick your algorithm... I think it's going to be beta bionics. And one of the things, I don't remember if you showed it on your video or not, but the screen that like the single screen that has made me the most excited about anything in diabetes technology is on the beta bionics device. There's a screen where you can pick your CGM right now. There's only one option. It just says Dexcom G6. But when I just saw that screen, I was like, I got shivers, you know, cause I'm like, man, there's going to be a day where you can pick your CGM, which is amazing. Like, I do think, you know, talking with the leadership there that they're very supportive of like, yeah, like it's YOLO. Like, why not integrate with everybody? Their market share right now is like 0.1%. They have nothing to lose. You know, even if they gained all the Eversense users, you know, that would be like a huge growth for them. So I, I really think they're kind of the dark horse. And I'm hoping that they can apply market pressure by integrating, like say they do integrate, you know, the Libre, the Dexcom and Eversense then of course, you know, some people might be like, hey, I'm going to go to a system that allows me to use an implantable CGM. And hopefully some of the pump companies will have to say, okay, well, we don't want to lose our customers to this startup. So hopefully, you know, yeah, I really see Beta Bionics as kind of like the dark horse to kind of stir things up and hopefully really move things towards um, openness. And the yeah. irony is that's what Dexcom was 10 years ago, right? Like Dexcom's, that their like writing theme was like, hey, we're the one that is going to share all your data. We're the, you know, we're up against Medtronic, which is kind of, you know, the Apple where they only have a walled garden and only integrate with themselves. So go with us, Dexcom, we're your neighborhood friendly Dexcom. But now that Dexcom is kind of this monolith and they're this huge success, I think, of course, they're naturally going to be a lot more invested in protecting their, you know, protecting their IP. Yeah. Tidepool has said that they're working with two pump companies. They've announced one that is actually geared towards type two. So I don't know how long that I think they'll have to rewrite an algorithm. I'm not sure. And then they are working with one other pump company. They haven't announced it yet because they're really waiting on that pump company to announce it. And my hope is that it's beta bionics. And I could really see that, especially since they have that, that history with the DIY community. And I know a lot of my listeners, they want to try Tidepool Loop. They love all the video content that I make on that. And it does have some great options. Now I want to go back to Abbott. You mentioned that they 
they're a huge company. They, they, I think they work on like pacemakers, spinal implants. They, they do a ton. And then they right. also have their Freestyle Libre CGMs. Now, two years ago at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, they announced a sensor uh, that could measure ketones. And that sensor wasn't meant for those with type 1 diabetes. But I think they've also mentioned that they're considering even kind of implementing that into a Freestyle Libre 3 type sensor, kind of creating one. How can a ketone monitor help those with type 1 diabetes in a, in a way that like a CGM can't, right? Like, I mean, if a CGM is at 350 for three hours, I mean, you probably have ketones in your system, right? Like, do we need a ketone sensor? I've been getting away for the last two years without one. Totally. Um, yeah, I think it's a really good question. And when people ask me about my opinion about ketone monitoring, I kind of see it like, you know how everyone um, in the tech world is always like, what's going to be the next iPhone, right? Like what's Apple going to do that's going to be the next iPhone? And, you know, when the TV came out, they're like, oh, is it the TV? Are they going to redefine TV? The iPhone is the iPhone. It was like, a, like smartphones was like a once in a generation technology that transformed our lives. And I think that's kind of what CGM is. Like continuous glucose monitoring is, is a very unique value proposition that is just immensely helpful for so many people. So I think the benefit, yes, there is a role for ketone monitoring, and I'll tell you about it shortly, but I think it's it's not going to knock your socks off and have just such a widespread use case like like a gl continuous glucose monitor. So the argument, so people that do get excited about ketone monitoring, I, I think it kind of goes twofold. One is, the big one is that it will help enable adoption of a class of pills called SGLT2 inhibitors. Examples of that are things like Farsica, Jardiance, and Invokana. And these are pills that we know help people improve their blood sugar control, including people with type 1 diabetes. But the reason why it's not yet approved officially for people with type 1 diabetes is that it can also increase your risk for what's called euglycemic diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA. And as you know, DKA is kind of like the big bad, you know, boogeyman in type 1 diabetes. And like, if you can somehow every once in a while develop scary DKA almost out of nowhere, then of course, it's kind of a risky proposition to, to have. So with this medication, if you have like, a, 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 if your CGM happens to also check your ketones, then if you're slowly going into this kind of subtle hidden DKA that can very rarely but sometimes happen on this medication, you can kind of see that it's happening and treat it and prevent it really fast. So I think in that specific use case, it can add a lot of value. The other thing is, you know, DKA as a whole can sometimes be a little bit tricky. Like I've, you know, maybe in your situation, have you woken up in the morning and felt kind of crummy? Maybe your Omnipod got a little bit ajar, your blood sugars are running a little bit high, you're kind of nauseous, but you're not sure what's going on. Um, having kind of a quick check of your ketones might be able to kind of say, hey, like I'm almost in DKA or I'm like heading towards DKA. I need to kind of, you know, take more insulin and, and get my act together. So it can be a little bit of like a warning light. And I actually think in its real life implementation, it will be more like that. Like, I don't think it's going to be giving you your ketone reading every five minutes or every minute. I think it's probably going to be like every hour or every two hours. And it might even just be like a let, like a color. It might be like, oh, your ketones are green or your ketones are yellow or it's red. Um, just to kind of 
put it on your radar, but I don't think it's a number that we're going to be graphing and looking at obsessively like we look at a CGM. So is there a role for it? Yes. If it's on your sensor, like if I had two Libre 3s next to each other and one had a ketone sensor and, and the other didn't, of course, why not add on the second sensor? But, you know, whether it's going to be a game changer, I don't necessarily think so. I think it'd be more like an Apple TV versus an Apple iPhone. Okay. Gotcha. Now I want to move into AID systems. AID is mm -hmm. automated insulin delivery systems. These are Omnipod 5, uh, T-Slim's Connect. Is it Connect or Control? Control, control IQ? Can yeah. I tell you why? I, I, I always call it Connect IQ because the Garmin uh -huh. watch has an <laughs> app called Connect IQ and it's ruined me. It's That's ruined so me. I always mess it up. So the Tandem Control IQ. Um people have said that we're reaching a limit with where AID systems can go. Like the algorithm can really only get so good, but it can't, it, there's always, there's going to be a wallet hits where, where can we go with AID systems? Is there, is there like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. And I do wonder that even with CGMs and we kind of already talked about CGMs, but it's kind of like, you know, are we reaching peak CGM? Are we reaching peak automated insulin delivery like but when it comes to AID I think there are things we can do a lot better still one is how complex meal announcements and meal bolusing is so meal the, the big things that really throw automated insulin delivery algorithms for a loop no pun intended <laughs> is um the meals and exercise right those are the two things that really they're variables that the the systems can't account for automatically so one is just simplifying how the meal system works, right? So that's what Beta Bionics did. You're essentially just announcing your meals. You're saying, I'm eating a meal. So what Beta Bionics did was you kind of categorize your meals. You're like high carb dinner, normal carb dinner, low carb dinner, high carb lunch, normal carb lunch, and so on and so forth. But maybe we can get these algorithms so finely tuned to the place where you can just say, I'm eating dinner. You don't even have to count carbs at all and just be like, dinner time, I'm eating. Lunch time, I'm eating. Or maybe I'm eating. Maybe that's all you need to do. Not even dinner versus lunch. And I do think the algorithms may be able to get to that point um, where they can do it. Um, but there are a couple things that they may need along the way to help them. So one is faster insulins, right? So as you know, there's Fiasp and Lumjev. Um, they, the speed of insulin is really the biggest challenge right now because anybody with the CGM can, can t test to the fact that you bolus before a meal, you know, it takes 30 minutes, sometimes 40 minutes for it to even start working. So the speed of insulin is, is really one of the big limitations. So if we can get faster insulins developed, that will help these algorithms a ton. Secondly, I think a lot of these pump companies and algorithms may start integrating data from other peripherals to know when you're eating and exercising. So their Medtronic, uh, a few years back, actually acquired a company called Clue, K-L-U-E, that that built an algorithm that runs on your Apple Watch, and I actually tested it. And so it can detect when you're eating, and it will, and it can, you know, and if your pump knows when you're eating, you no longer even have to announce it. Or maybe you just have to confirm, right? Maybe you start eating and you get a notification on your watch, and it's like, hey, are you eating? And then all you have to be is like, yes. And then now your pump knows, okay, he's eating, and we're going to change our algorithm accordingly. Similarly, if it's, if it's attached to like an activity tracker of some sort, it might know what type of exercise you're doing, when you're doing exercise, if you're just walking a lot, which can also make you more sensitive to insulin. So I do think that some of these companies are going to start to incorporate other data sources 
to try to get their algorithm smarter. And one thing I'll say is I'm super skeptical, right? Like I'm sure Justin, you are too. Like after a point being in tech, you're kind of like, people say whatever they want. So, but I will say when I tested the clue algorithm, I was really, really impressed by how well it worked. Like I'd be in a drive through just getting French fries and I'm like driving home eating and, and I'll be like, Hey, are you eating? And I'm like, Oh wow, this is a little bit scary. And, or, you know, I'm Asian, right? So I'd be like, well, I don't know how it's going to do with my chopsticks, but it was like, Hey, are you eating? And you know, I didn't do a scientific study to see when it hit and when it missed, but it really felt, I was very impressed by how precise it was when it knew when I was eating. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see automation get even better with where we just don't have to think about putting in those carbs and really can just like that. I mean, that's one of the last few things left. I feel like that's like takes us out of a moment and trying to figure something out. And beta bionics is trying to make that easier with their like, is this larger, smaller, but I personally don't think that's enough information for the control that I want. And I have Mm -hmm. heard that users from some users that like, you're not going to get the same control you get on other systems with beta bionics partially to do with that. I think I also think that there could be innovation with AR glasses in the future. Once AR glasses, augmented reality um, glasses are really streamlined as small as a pair of glasses. When you look at your meal, your app on your glasses will just use um, infrared sensors, um, whatever sensors it uses in 3D space to kind of calculate that food for you. And then, bam, it, it's all, it's doing it for you. So I think that that could be something we see in the future. And we're about to watch this Apple event. Their <laughs> last one, they announced their um, AR glasses, their mixed reality glasses. Um, not so much glasses, more of a headset. They're huge. But it really is a, a peek at the future of where we are going. And one day we will have wearables um, that are the size of glasses. So question, this is where we are now though. Will the Libre 3's one minute updates, could that make AID systems stronger and be able to make decisions faster? Minute by yeah, minute. It's a, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I personally, I know the type one community in general is not super excited about the Libre um, in terms of accuracy as a whole. Everything I say, blanket statements, um, generals, generalizations. But I think in general, people might feel like it's less accurate than the Dexcom. Um, and I share that agreement. But that being said, I do think its utility in type one diabetes and in a pump is a lot better than people realize. And I'm really excited for when the Libre 2 and Libre 3 will integrate with AID. Because I think it provides a cheaper option, right? And some people, once again, I'm going to hammer this home of having choice. But like, I can't tell you how many patients I've had that have been like, I've been on the phone with tech support with Dexcom, and it, you know, it, I'm not getting through. And so it's just nice to have something else to use. Well, the one and the one minute updates naturally are going to be really helpful. I don't know how often the algorithms are going to incorporate it, right? Because I believe the algorithm, most of the algorithms refresh every five minutes anyways. Um, but I think in the future, these algorithms can incorporate that data because more frequent data is, is more meaningful. So I do think it will help make the, ac- the algorithms work better. Like I said, my biggest concern is just the low accuracy with the Libre. I do think it's a little bit less accurate on the low side, which is obviously a very important band of blood sugars for people with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, I uh, just wore the Libre 3 for the second time for nearly 14 days. It actually fell off in the pool uh, before that 14 days. But 
I found it to be very accurate in, in my period of time wearing it. I didn't really have any lows, so it's hard to say like how off that was, but I didn't notice any like false lows or issues with like I had a low, but it wasn't saying it. So I can't speak on that. But what I can speak on is accuracy overall was very good. It was in sometimes more accurate than Dexcom. But also, it's hard to really say how accurate it is because if you take your blood sugar with a meter, that's still like outdated. It's outdated data that you're getting from your CGM. So whenever so, anyone's like, "Well, it's off by 25 points," I'm like, "But it's also off by 15, 20 minutes." So yes. it's impossible for it to be the same. I mean, it's not impossible. It happens if you're like completely streamlined, uh, straight line. But like, it, I don't think you can really always base it off of that. I mean, if it's 50 points off, then I mean. Something could be wrong. Totally. But, yeah. But um, no, yeah. I 100% agree. I mean, I think, you know, they only need to be so accurate. You know, like whether you're 50 or 75, whether you're 50 or 65, the algorithm is going to shut off and suspend insulin no matter what. So, you know, I, I, I think it's important, of course, but I don't, I think the algorithms will do fantastically with the Libre systems. And honestly, you know, I'm going to, this is going to be like my, you know, my recurring theme, but. I just think competition is important, right? Like I'm an Apple guy, but I don't think the iPhone would have iterated as much as it did if Samsung wasn't there to kind of be nipping at its heels. And so I love the Dexcom, don't get me wrong. I love, but, but I love that there's competition to make them be better. And so if they don't perform, then people can go to a different company. If their product is priced too high, you can go to a different company. And right now in AID, at least commercially, they're the only game in town. And so that's why it's really important for people to use other options and support other companies. Yeah, I mean, the Dexcom, Dexcom saw the Libre 2. They were like, wow, that's pretty flat. We have to make our totally. thing smaller. Then the Libre 3 comes out. They're like, all right, well, here's the G7. It's maybe not as small, but it's much smaller. And it's got an integrated transmitter, which is fantastic. And also, at least for me, is is less expensive when it comes to health insurance. Because I'm not paying totally. for two different devices for three months supply. I'm only paying for one. So at least the way it's impacted me is is less costs. I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier, because we could talk about diabetes technology for as long as we want. But if there's no insulin innovation, we really can't move forward in, in a substantial way. Fiosp and Leumjev are the fastest acting insulins available, I believe. They're both considered rapid acting insulins, whereas Humalog, Novolog, insulins like that are fast acting insulins. Am I right? Yes and no. I think it's funny. Okay. I've looked into that too. It's like the terminology is weird, right? Because if you went to anybody, you'd be like, what's the difference between fast acting insulin and rapid acting insulin? And they'd be like, I have no idea. Aren't they the same? And, and colloquially, I think in real, in real life, I think people use those terms interchangeably. But I do think if you Google it, there is a list somewhere where they are defined that way. But in practice, I call them both fast acting insulins. You hear some people refer to Lumjev and, and Fiasp as ultra fast act or ultra rapid acting insulins. Um, Afreza would be in that group. I do think they work faster than their their siblings. Like Novolog, Fiasp is the faster version of Novolog. Lumjev is the faster version of Humalog. Um, and I do think it's they are meaningful improvements. Um, but I do think there are other molecules in in development that work even faster. Also, like I said, Afreza. We can have a whole nother uh, <laughs> hour-long conversation on Afreza, but Afreza does work way faster than injected insulins. And so obviously maybe not for AID systems, but 
Afreza does provide a much uh, a true ultra rapid acting insulin um, experience. So, and then on the slow side of things, the slower end of the world, there are weekly basal insulins that are going to be coming out, right? So I think Novo and Lily both have weekly basal insulins. So Traceba is like you know a day or two, um, but imagine if you are an MDI, a multiple daily injections user, you're using pens, you can maybe get away with taking a basal insulin once a week, which is a pretty crazy concept. Yeah, and that may make people who are on pumps more eager to go back to MDI if they're like, okay, well, I don't have to do that one shot every day and I could just yeah. bring along my smart pen for Right, like you could meals. theoretically do a weekly basal plus a Freza for um, rapid acting, right? And which, then you're which essentially- Which for people who are listening, sorry to interject, a Freza is an inhaled insulin. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good that you clarify. So, um, so yeah, so in theory, you could do- you know, an ex- you can have an experience where you're tightly managing your blood sugars and taking one shot a week, which is pretty mind blowing, I think, for someone with diabetes um, or type one diabetes. Um, the other thing, which you know, I think is so cool, uh, there's a company called Luna Diabetes that is working on an overnight patch pump. So it's it's like automated insulin delivery, but only overnight. So it's almost like a you know a brace guard or whatever those things are for people that wear those teeth things at night, because you're not running around, you're not in public. Um, and so I have a lot of patients that despite AID, they don't want to wear something attached to them all the time. So imagine if there was a patch you could just wear overnight that would help control your blood sugars and not wake you up in the middle of the night. And then in the morning you take it off and you switch to injections. So, I mean, I think there's so many cool technologies that are coming around, which is why people like you and me have a lot to talk about. And we're, you know, it's a great time to be alive, I guess. So it's exciting. Yeah, um, we're going to get more into insulin. I, I need to have you back on the show to just talk about insulin because um, that that seems like it does deserve an entire episode. Um, on the point that you made about Project Luna, the overnight patch, I know that Sean Saint, uh, the CEO of Beta Bionics, he's a founder of that. Right. And um, I, che- I went on their website recently and it didn't seem like they were like... I don't know what's going on. I don't know if they've kind of yeah. like moved on, especially he's the CEO of Beta Bionics now. Like, I don't know how involved <laughs> he is, so so we'll see. But I do love the idea of your MDI during the day. You've got a weekly Lantis shot, long-acting insulin, and then you put a pump on uh, while you go to sleep uh, and yeah. maybe it adju- almost adjust your long-acting insulin. And actually, maybe it won't work with your long-acting insulin shot. Who, who knows? But the future's bright. Um, okay. If you could have any dream diabetes technology besides a cure, Ooh, got it. What, what would that be? What What do you want to see in the future with with the diabetes technology? Just thinking, you know, shooting from the hip. I do think implantable sensor is huge. Just in terms of like sheer utility, I think that is pretty game changing, right? Like as an upgrade to where we are now, like a true implantable CGM, nothing worn externally still accurate. I think that would be a huge game changer. Of course, you know, cure-based therapies uh, are definitely up there. I get really excited for the potential of what Luna Diabetes is working on. I do know the company is still alive and well. I talked to some people um, from them in June. Um, I don't think, you know, they're, it's right around the corner per se, but I do think they are still there because I was worried going into ADA. I was like, oh man, I hope they're not, you know, they didn't go away. Um, but they are still working. And, and that gets me really excited too, because I think as much as we love automated insulin delivery systems, pumps are still inconvenient, right? You can make them as small as possible. You can get the tubing as short as possible, but they're still annoying. And some people just prefer shots. 
Um, and, and if you can get AID benefits overnight, which I think is like 80% of the benefit of AID while you're sleeping and then you take it off in the morning, to me, that just sounds so amazing. So, um, if, you know, probably just cause we talked about them a lot, those are the two that come to mind. Yeah. That Luna concept sounds incredible. It's the time when you can't address your sugar levels when you're sleeping, right? Just put that right. pump on and you're set at night and then you don't have a pump on during the day. Now, I like to end all of my interviews with this question, or most of my interviews with this question, especially you as an endocrinologist, a lot of endos out there, when, when a patient says like, hey, I'm thinking about DIY loop, they're like, nope, get a new endo, I'm not going to touch this, I'm not going to look at it, I'm not going to help you if you get on it, even diabetes educators will sometimes do that. I'm fortunate to have had one that was like, all right, you're getting on it, well, I have to help you. I'm not, you know, I'm not the one that told you to do it, but I'm going to help you. As an endo, what do you think of DIY, the DIY community and the DIY systems, A, and B, what are your thoughts on all those endos out there that don't want anything to do with it, if their patients do? I understand the concern, right? Because when you're building something that is foreign to the, the doctor or clinician, it seems scary. And, you know, liability and legal risk is something that we have to worry about all the time. So I get it. And and even for me, it did seem scary when I didn't know about it, right? If you're like, ooh, these hackers online are kind of telling you how to build your own software and insulin is this potentially lethal uh, medication. I understand why people get scared. At the same time, I think a lot of times clinicians don't know what it's like. And I don't have type 1. I should be clear. I, I always want to make sure that people know I don't pretend to have type 1. I just try to have a lot of empathy and understanding for people that live with type 1. But so I lurk in all the Facebook groups, all the subreddits, the Twitterverse. I follow everybody on Instagram and, and TikTok. And I learned so much about type 1 diabetes and just about the lived experience from patients that have type 1 diabetes. And so I would really encourage these, these providers to look into these communities um, and try, like, join the Looped Facebook group, the Loop and Learn Facebook group, and just see how supportive people are. Go to Loop Docs. Um, dot org and see how well written these instructions are like when I first built loop like I'm a kind of a techie guy but like you you don't you anybody can build it one of the first people that told me about it she's this mom she's not an engineer she's you know just a random mom who wanted to give her her daughter uh, loop and when I found out that she built it on her own over the weekend I was like okay like truly anybody can build this and and that really is the case the community is so supportive the documentation is amazing so I would say, like, really give it a shot. Like, this is not, you know, someone meeting in a back alley, like, you know, writing stuff down on a piece of paper. Like, this is a legit system that, you know, a fork of it is FDA approved now. It's been proven to be safe. It, it has benefits, distinct benefits, even now over Omnipod 5 and Control IQ, right? You, It's the only one that's full iPhone control for now. It's the only one that integrates with G7 for now. Um, it's the only one that has configurable targets less than 100. Like, these are all things that some people really want. And so um, I, I do think it's a disservice to, to your patients if you're not at least willing to support your patients. Like, you know, when I hear stories of doctors who don't prescribe things or don't, you know, like they won't prescribe a CGM or they won't prescribe a pump to their patient, I, I don't know. Like, to me, I, I don't think doctors should be gatekeepers. I think we should be informers. I think we should empower our patients. But, you know... In the end, the patients are the ones that have to live with the disease 99.9% .9 of the time. Why should a doctor who you see once every three to six months 
be able to tell you what pump you wear, what sensor you wear, you know. So, so I guess to be consistent with my theme of openness, I don't think doctors should be part of that, should be a barrier to openness either. Like you really should be able to do what you want to do. Yeah. And I think in many ways, this is why so many people have gravitated toward finding community on social media, because, you know, look at me, I was diagnosed, misdiagnosed as type two from a doctor. And then I was diagnosed with type one from TikTok, <laughs> like from people on TikTok. So right. you can get so much valuable information and guidance on social media. Of course, take it with a grain of salt. Don't believe everything you hear. Um, and also, if you do look into DIY loop and decide to build it, do it at your own risk. But while you're doing that, there is this huge community out there of helpful people. I mean, the diabetes community is just so tight-knit and truly supportive. And that's why they've built systems like this uh, because, you know, and gave it away to the world because it's a very selfless community, which is so fantastic. And I'm glad that I fell into it. Um, David, thank you so much. This was a fascinating conversation. I'm I'm very excited about the future of diabetes tech. This is one of my longer podcast episodes. There was so much to cover, and you left me with still so many questions for insulin innovation and even the Eversense CGM, which I want to learn more about. So I would love to have you on the show again to talk about that stuff and more. Um, this was amazing. Thank you for coming on. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad to be on whenever you'll have me. So good seeing you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. I've got videos on a lot of the devices that we spoke about from Tubus Pumps and the Libre and Eversense CGMs on my YouTube channel. So be sure to check those out. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on YouTube, all major podcast platforms as well. So go ahead and follow me on your preferred platform. And I've got new episodes on YouTube dropping every Friday and every day on social media. So make sure you follow me there links to those in today's show notes. I'm Justin, and I'll see you next week.